Well, it's a very strange thing to be speaking to an empty room on a Sunday morning. It will also be very strange having nobody laughing at my jokes. So I'd like to thank our regular congregation for giving me so much practice at that. So we said last week that we would take a look this morning at what the Bible has to say to us in what's happening at the moment. If you go to the BibleGateway.com website and you type in coronavirus in the search engine, it probably won't be a surprise that nothing comes up. But of course that doesn't mean that the Bible has nothing to say to us about it. Or perhaps a better way of putting that would be to say it doesn't mean that God has nothing to say to us about it. The only reason that we want to know what the Bible has to say is because we want to know what God has to say. We don't have a relationship with the Bible. We have a relationship with God. But he's given the Bible to us, not just so that we know what he's saying to us in these times, but also who he wants to be to us in these times. The Bible is our window, not just on what God is saying, but also our window on who God is and what he's like and what kind of God he is and what kind of relationship he wants to have with us and who he wants to be to us. And the reason that the Bible is a window on all of that is because God has inspired it. And the New Testament Greek word literally means God breathed or God breathed into it. So it carries his presence with it and in it in some mysterious way. God has shaped it and formed it so that it's an authentic window on who God is and on what he's saying to us. So it's really important that we read our Bibles because the best way for us to find God in these times and to know what God is saying in these times and to know who God is and what he's like in these times is through the Bible. So if you've not been much of a Bible reader before, now is a great opportunity to get started. Because in the light of what we're facing, eternity suddenly seems so much more important. Now in a way, what God is wanting to say to us in these times is actually no different to what he's wanting to say to us all of the time. It's just that at times like this, things that we might otherwise just gloss over become really important for us to know. A verse like this one. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you because they trust in you. A verse like that doesn't mean much until something happens which shatters your peace. If you're in perfect peace already, you probably won't be paying too much attention to it. Or like this one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You might just think, that's nice, until something happens that makes you as anxious and worried as you've ever been in your life. It's not just that these verses have suddenly sprung up overnight, of course. They've always been there. But perhaps they haven't meant as much. Okay, so we need to start by saying that we need to be real about this. The situation that we are in is very serious. And it's evolving all the time. 
people have died and more will die. And that is not being negative or fatalistic or lacking in faith, it's just being real. All of us are likely to know people who are already or who will be affected by it. So even if we mean well, we should be careful about giving people words or prophecies about things being all right. Because for some, it may not be all right. But of course, at the same time, we also do want to be encouraging and comforting. Because as Christians, we have fantastic news that they need to hear about a fantastic God that they need to know and to include in their lives, at the very centre of their lives, in what they're going through. A supernatural God who can do supernatural things. A God who, Ephesians 3.20 tells us, is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, which for me at the moment is actually quite a lot, according to his power that is at work within us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I said a moment ago that it's important at times like this that we read our Bible, but it's just as important that we read it well. And reading it well does not mean just collecting up lots of nice verses from all over the Bible, from all of their different contexts and situations, and claiming them as personal promises in our situation. Or telling someone that we've found a verse that is a personal promise from God that they need to claim for their situation. And let me just quickly explain why I say that. If the verses or passages that we're reading are truths about God, about who he is and what he's like and what he's always been like and what he always will be like, then none of those things need claiming because they are timelessly true of God and they're things that God is timelessly saying. They don't need to be claimed. And we don't need a word from the Lord for them to be true or relevant. They're things that we can all timelessly rely on and take comfort from and take assurance from. They're things that God's people have always been able to rely on and take comfort from and assurance from in all of the situations that they have faced. They've always been true and they always will be true. So you may be thinking, I'm not entirely sure that I can see the difference here. And if you are thinking that, then there's one simple rule that we can all follow to test that for ourselves. And that is this. Ask ourselves whether it's saying something that is true of God or true of us throughout the Bible. In other words, whether it's in harmony with what the Bible says as a whole. Is it something that is repeated in other ways, in other places, using other words and phrases and in other stories as well? And if so, then we can be confident that we are onto something that we can be very sure is a good biblical understanding of what God is like and the things he says and who he wants to be to us at this time. And if in doubt, especially if you're wondering about something that you're reading in the Old Testament, give the benefit of the doubt to whatever Jesus and the New Testament says and go with that. So let's love the Bible, let's read the Bible passionately, 
Let's be encouraged by it and let's use it to encourage others, especially at a time like this. But let's always be doing it well. Let's not do what Mike Pilavachi warns us against and go around dropping Bible bombs on people. So with all of that in mind, I want to focus on one thing this morning that I think God is saying to us in these times. So it's a sermon with one point instead of the traditional three. So please don't feel shortchanged. I did have six points last time, if you remember, so we're still ahead overall. And actually, one point is probably easier to remember, isn't it? So what we're going to think about this morning is do not fear. Rick Warren, who's the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, says that in the Bible, God tells his people, do not fear, 365 times, which is one for every day of the year. And although 2020 happens to be a leap year, don't worry, because the 29th of February is now behind us. Rick says that for God to say, do not fear, 365 times, he obviously wants his people to get the message and to not allow fear and worry and anxiety to control their lives. And the reason that God says do not fear is not because our fears are unreal. It's not because there's nothing to be afraid of or because it's wrong for us to have fears. If you are afraid right now, you are not doing anything wrong. God is not disappointed with you. The reason that he says, do not fear, over and over again, is because God promises to be with us in our fears and to come to deliver us from our fears. God's promise is God's presence. God's presence brings God's power. And God's power can do amazing things. The 23rd Psalm is a great example that many of us will have heard of. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you want some homework after the service, then dig out Psalm 23 and meditate on it. It's only six verses. And if you haven't got a Bible, then just go to biblegateway.com or just Google the 23rd Psalm. Here's another example of the very same thing in Isaiah, where God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Now God's saying here, do not fear and do not be dismayed, might sound a little bit like a command with a nagging finger pointing at us and God sounding cross with us. But he isn't saying it like that at all. He's encouraging us. Just like we might encourage a child to try something that's new to them, but the parent knows that they can do. Like riding a bike for the first time. Come on, keep going. Don't give up. I know you think it's too hard, but you can do this. Because I'm with you. I'm holding the back of the saddle with my right hand, and I won't let go. And God is saying to us, come on, keep going. Don't give up. I know you think it's too hard, but you can do this 
Do not fear because I am with you. And he doesn't say that 365 times because the situations that people were facing were not worthy of fear. They were. He wasn't saying to them that they were supposed to deny reality. And God is not expecting us to deny reality or tell others to deny reality. The most natural thing in the world is for us to be afraid and to worry about whether we or our family might get sick or about our job security and our financial situation and any number of other things. And God completely understands that. He's not saying that we should deny the reality of our worries and our fears. But what he is encouraging us to do is to invite him into that reality and to transform our worries and fears from the inside, to transform how we deal with that reality and to deliver us from its grip and its power over us. And there are two aspects to how I think God will do that for us. Neither of them has to do with a formula. Both of them have to do with a relationship. Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And the starting point for our release from the grip and the power of fear in our lives is seeking God for ourselves. It's inviting him into those fears, bringing them to him, bringing ourselves to him. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Just like Jesus said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find in Matthew 7. And he's quoting there from Deuteronomy 4 and Jeremiah 29, where God says, if you seek me, you will find me. Now the source of most fear in our lives is the unknown, which is of course why the current situation is so scary, because there is so much that we don't know. So the second aspect of what I think God is inviting us to do is to exchange the unknown for the known, to fill our lives and our thoughts with the known instead of the unknown. The solution to fear is not a formula. The solution to fear is a person. Exchanging the presence of fear for the presence of Jesus. In 1 John 4, it says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. And the perfect love that it's talking about here is the only perfect love that exists, which is the love of God, the love that he has for us. If we invite and receive Jesus into our lives, we are inviting and receiving God's perfect love into our lives because God is love. And Jesus is God in person. So he brings that perfect love with him. We're exchanging our fears of the unknown for the love of the God who can be known and wants to be known and have his presence fill our lives. 2 Corinthians 5 says that when someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person inside. They are not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And if you're watching this and you know that you don't know Jesus, 
You know that he is not in your life right now, but you want him to be. You want to start a new life as this brand new person. Then all you have to do is ask him today. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. So why not make today your day of salvation? And remember that Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Now it's important we say that becoming a Christian is not a panacea for all of the bad things happening or some kind of escapism. Christians are not exempt from suffering along with everyone else. We don't have a get-out-of-jail-free card. If that was the case, then, of course, Jesus wouldn't have suffered. But he did, because he had to be like us in every way. And suffering, at times, is part of being human, alongside everyone else in a broken and troubled world, in which God's redemptive work is not yet finished. The bad news is that this world still needs fixing, and today we are seeing that more than ever. But the good news is that we have a God in heaven who understands exactly what it's like to be human. A God to whom we can never say, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't understand what it's like to be me and have to live my life. Because Jesus has, and he does. A God who intentionally came into our broken world as one of us. A God who came to be, as the Christmas story tells us, Emmanuel, God with us. The good news of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is not a guarantee that we will never again experience bad news. Some people became Christians without realising that, so when something bad happens, it shakes their faith because that wasn't what they thought they'd signed up for. But the gospel isn't good news because it immunises us from bad news. The gospel is God's good news in our bad news. The gospel is Jesus himself in our bad news. The gospel is, I am with you. And we see this, this theme, this characteristic of a God who wants to be with us and who, if we allow him to, will never leave us or give up on us. We see this throughout the Bible. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Which echoes something that Jesus said. The very last thing he said, in fact, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, in the very last verse. The last thing he says before ascending to heaven after his resurrection. Be sure of this, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a great place in that very last verse. And what a great statement. What a great promise for Jesus to leave with us. So that's the first thing that I think God is wanting to say to us in these times. Do not fear. That is my one-point sermon for today. And if you're thinking, I don't know whether I can do that, let me try and give you some encouragement, starting with a little story. 
When I was a, a teenager, I had the opportunity, which I didn't realize was quite such a privilege at the time, to have dinner with a very famous Christian called Lindsay Glegg, who was a contemporary of Billy Graham and led many thousands to the Lord. He was in his 90s by then, and this would have been shortly before he died in 1975. And one of the things that he said to me and actually wrote down for me that I will never forget was this. Live one moment at a time and that moment for God. Don't think of a holy life, for that will drown you by its immensity. But remember that a holy life is made up of a series of holy moments. A holy life is a series of holy moments. And I think that that is equally true for us of a life free from fear. Live one moment at a time and that moment for God. Don't think of a life without fear, for that will drown you by its immensity. But remember that a life without fear is made up of a series of moments without fear. If we can live without being sick with fear for one moment, because we know God loves us and he's with us, then we can live without being sick with fear for one more moment. If we can do it for one minute, we can do it for another minute and then another minute. If we can do it for one hour, then we can do it for another hour, and then a day. And then it's a new day. And that's one day closer to when this current crisis will start to turn around. So don't allow your life to be drowned by the immensity of what is happening. A life without fear is made up of a series of moments without fear. Address your fears one moment at a time. Live one moment at a time and that moment for God. Face your fears by facing towards him. And immerse yourself in all of the many, many things the Bible has to say which, is, which are so relevant for us at this time. And the reason that immersing ourselves in what the Bible has to say is a good thing for us is because it's what God himself wants to say. It is God-breathed. He didn't just give it to us to be a nice little book of devotions or cute little phrases. It's God-breathed so that we can encounter God through it. So how should we live and what should we do? In Habakkuk 2.4, it says this, the righteous will live by faith. Six little words in English, but they must be pretty important because they're quoted three times in the New Testament as well. And righteous just means people who've been made right with God through Jesus. People who, because of that, want to live right and to do the right things. And faith in the Bible does not mean believing the right things or having mental certainty about getting answers to prayer. To people in the Bible, faith was a doing word, not a thinking word. Faith was defined by what you did because of your faith. So it was defined by trust and loyalty and commitment and faithfulness to God. And actually, faithfulness gives a much better sense of what biblical faith is all about. 
So whether we've got faith isn't shown by doing a scan of what's going on in our brains. It's shown by what we do with our lives. It's shown by how we live, doing the right things. Faith does not involve burying your head in the sand or trying to mentally convince yourself about something, that what's happening isn't happening. It's not blind faith. It's not not hearing and not seeing and not speaking about it, like the three wise monkeys. What faith means is keeping on doing all of the things that a person would do if what we believe is true. So keeping on praying, keeping on worshipping, keeping on serving and giving, loving God, loving those in need faithfully, sharing, sacrificing, prioritising the kingdom of God more than ever before, keeping on living faithfully to what we believe being true, doing the things that are right, doing what righteous people always do. Mike, would you like to join me? So let me close with just a few of the many, many wonderful verses in the Bible that reflect the heart of God towards us in this current situation. Some verses that you might like to think about and meditate on later. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my saviour. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Meditate on these things. And then last, but by no means least, we'll give the last word to Jesus. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. <laughs>